and gentlemen, we welcome you to another edition of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Episode number 76 is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Alongside my guys, Ian Schreier and Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Jarzinka. Cannot thank you all enough for joining us here on December 17th, our final show of the 2021 calendar year. Ladies and gentlemen, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to download their newest album, Free Cake, out now, play loud on the following platforms, Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. And also, they did come out with a brand new single as well. We'll get to that later on in the broadcast, but... Ian Schreier, good to see you, sir. It's been uh, it's been a little while. It's it's really been a while since the three of us have been on here together. Uh, how are things on your side of Long Island? Things are well. Um, I know we didn't get a chance to have a, a show last week. I know Joey was on assignment, and so was Mike Zabo. So I, you know, I, I don't think our viewers really just wanted to look at mine and Rob's faces for for two hours. Would have would have been awfully boring. But wanted to wish everybody out there that's tuning in, watching, or listening to us just a very happy holidays. This is our last show before the break, and and a very happy 2022. And we look forward to seeing you guys after the new year. Rob DeLuca, welcome back, sir. It's been a long time. How are you doing? You know, it's good to be back. You know, nothing beats the good Friday night, 7 p.m. rush of of just coming together with you guys and bringing our great viewers a great show. And like always, that's what we got for them. We've got, you know, got to talk about the NFL, got to talk a little college basketball. And of, and of course, you know, it's the winter time. It's cold out. Got to talk some hockey. Yeah, that's what we got to yeah, do. There's- Snow's coming, which means the Winter Classic's coming. Gonna have to talk about that, too. There's no doubt, and especially, too, because we will not be on the air before the the, uh, 2022 uh, Bridgestone NHL Winter Classic goes live, I believe, on January 1st, New Year's Day. It's going to be the St. Louis Blues taking on the Minnesota Wild in the state of hockey at Target Field, the home of the Minnesota Twins. But, ladies and gentlemen, let us get into it here, and, of course, we're going to always start – by letting you know how to listen to us. If you are listening to us on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, we cannot thank you enough. But for those that are doing vice versa there or uh, listening to us, if you guys want to see our faces, please, of course, search on YouTube, uh, searching the Eastern Observer. Please do that as well and hit the subscribe button uh, when you get to see that as well. And also, that's something else. We are on Audacity. Uh, or uh, uh, the the exact the exact pronunciation I believe is uh, uh, Audacity um, uh, the uh, the the new platform we were just uh, accepted to it so uh, yeah sorry for the uh, for the company that accepted us but we're on your platform and uh, we'll eventually get the pronunciation right uh, at some point or another and if anyone does have that please put that on our uh, on our comments and you know if we could phonetically spell that. Ladies and gentlemen, let us get into uh, the start of week number 15 in the National Football League. And of course, Rob DeLuca's favorite time of the week is Thursday Night Football. He cannot stand it, but he did tell us last night that last uh, that last night's contest between the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers was one of the better Thursday Night Football contests that he has seen in a long time, DeLuca. Yeah, and it turns out that ended up being a lie. The game stunk until the final eight minutes once again, because these teams, these teams must have, must have boycotted field goal kickers before the game, 
because those teams blew many opportunities to kick field goals, take the points, walk away, especially the Los Angeles Chargers, who if they did that even one time, they would the Chargers would have ended up winning this football game instead of the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's the Kansas City Chiefs who win the overtime thriller, a beautiful throw by Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, and Travis Kelsey with some beautiful angles on his route and just ran 30 yards for the t- game-winning touchdown, a beautiful play, and the Chiefs end up winning, and it looks like the Kansas City Chiefs are back, boys. I- I'm telling you that right now. This, this is a rejuvenated franchise right now i don't know what kicked them in the butt but something did and they are on a roll listen i i I think before we get to ian on this looking at the at what the kansas city chiefs have done it's really remarkable to see really what they've done and you look at their offensive line it hasn't gotten better hasn't gotten worse but maybe some uh, chemistry is finally beginning to set in here ian schreier what are your thoughts on last night's contest well, you know their winning streak is now at seven games, and you know who the winning streak started against, right? That was the New York Football Giants on Monday Night Football. So uh, the Giants have to do something right after all. They have to, you know, they have to turn around uh, the, the fortunes that were the Kansas City Chiefs, who we all wrote off and said Patrick Mahomes isn't looking right. That left side of the offensive line is in shambles. They've got nobody to protect them. That's why Mahomes is looking off. And I think I think all three of us at one point were like, no, no, no. You know, this is the AFC West is now wide open, and but nobody ran away with the division. It seemed like um, it was going to be the Chargers' division to win, and uh, obviously the division's still not over yet. But um, the Chiefs are starting to not run away, but starting to distance themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, one thing that stands out to me from last night night's game is you just hope Donald Parham, the Chiefs wide receiver, uh, the Chargers wide receiver, is okay. Um, oh yeah, that was that was just a horrific. Uh, sight to see his head slam against the turf the way it did and for him just to sit there um, or lay there in just a static motion um, and not move uh, is, is just very very scary um, I think some news came out just today or yesterday about um, they had done the autopsy on uh, Vincent Jackson um, and they found out that he had stage 2 CTE so uh, again just goes back to all those conversations we've had about concussions and and how, you know, in the sport of football and just how what CTE is doing to these players and, uh, you know, um, their lives being cut short very early. Um, but credit to Kansas City. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, uh, Rob already alluded to the career night for Travis Kelsey, 191 yards receiving. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, even after the even after the Chiefs fell behind, after Mahomes threw that pick, uh, I believe he threw for like 191 yards, uh, or excuse me, like 100 and yeah, 197 yards, excuse me, um, and three touchdowns. And uh, it was a great game. From re- it really was, I mean, even though I know Toluca just likes to rag on Thursday night football, and who could blame him? And look, the, the Chargers could have won that game. There's no doubt about it. Um, they, I thought this was going to be the game for the LA Chargers where they were just going to kind of curl up into their bowl. And even though they were playing at home, the Chargers have just by on the stats of alone. Um, have been a better road team this year in 2021 than at home. Um, I thought they were going to kind of curl up into a ball, especially with the way those opening drives went. The Chiefs moved down the field without a problem, scored on their opening series. And he just felt that, that that it just felt like, oh, Mahomes is back, and this is this is the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> this is the Chiefs' game to win, and let's all bow down to the team that's probably going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl because it seems like they're back. But uh, look, I think Justin Herbert came out. He had a solid game. He was he was it was a modest twenty two for thirty eight. But um, I think the credit to, to L A. and and what Brandon Staley is building over there in in, in so the Southern Cal. Um, I, you kind of like the way the Chargers are playing, even more so than maybe the team that they share a stadium with in the Rams. I, I think they're just. 
They're playing some good football. They needed a game, even though they didn't win, um, and they were in it the whole way, went to overtime. The Chargers have have really started to, I don't want to say establish themselves as a contender, but they're going to establish themselves as a dangerous, dangerous playoff team if they could just, I don't want to say right the ship, but just consistently produce results and get themselves into the post and get themselves into the postseason. Yeah, you look at there at what they did in the second quarter. They were ahead uh, 14 to 10. And this is something else, too, guys, is, is that, you know, with this Los Angeles Chargers team, they always had so much trouble trying to get uh, a lot of fanfare into uh, into StubHub Center, which was where uh, the L.A. Galaxy play. That was where they initially moved into following their uh, San Diego tenure, following their Qualcomm Stadium uh, exit and everything like that. And, uh, you know, they were waiting for this building to get built. And, and th- there was always so many away fans uh, coming into uh, in, into Southern California and, see, go, you know, going to see the Chargers. And keep in mind also that this team – uh, at one point, they were in Los Angeles. They have, you know, some problems, you know, now getting those San Diego fans up. And it's really great to see how they're really, you know, coming alive here and showing a, and putting out a good product of football uh, for the uh, for the city of Angels. And, and again, I, I think it's it's cool because, you know, now they're giving the Rams a run for their money because now we, we can also see that the Rams are really not 100 percent as advertised. They don't have a lot of depth. Uh, the Chargers are still a very young team with a lot of cap space uh, in the next few years, and they've got a a, a primed and ready uh, Justin Herbert. Obviously, you know, primed when I say ready to go, not in his prime, very far from it. But he's ready to go. He's so young; he's only a couple of years out of uh, out of college. And uh, this is a team that has Keenan Allen, who was one of, I believe, two two players on this Chargers team that once played in San Diego and now they're here yeah. hopefully reaping the benefits as well um, for this, uh, you know, for this little run here. And, and again, they were awfully close in overtime to giving, uh, you know, to giving uh, the chiefs a possible upset, if you will, and possibly even overtaking first place in the AFC West DeLuca. Yeah. I mean, Joey, you're absolutely right. And now it looks like uh, some, someone is tuning in and interacting with us. Let's, Pull up a comment from one of our very own, Mike Zabo, here, here, here tuning in from the from LaGuardia Airport in New York City, saying, sheesh, it could be a barn burner of a game as long as it's on Thursday. DeLuca disapproved. <laughs> and Mike, let me just ask you this. Did you watch that game? It was horrible until the fourth quarter, specifically the second half of the fourth quarter. That game was that game was lackluster on offense. It wasn't like there the game turned around on the excitement when the Chargers intercepted the ball on the Chiefs two yard line. That was a beautiful interception and that changed the excitement, the complexity of the game. Before that, that game was a full on snooze fest classic Thursday night football that interception saved the whole thing. And it was it ended up being a wonderful finish, a great overtime. But yeah, that's that's Thursday night football for you. You get you get four you get fifty two minutes of snooze and you get eight minutes of excitement. I wanna go back well, to Joey. I wanna go back to Joey's point for a second, Joe, if you'll allow me. Um in regards to the point Joey made about cap space. Yeah, they have a lot of cap space right now, but think about this for one second when it comes to the LA Chargers. I mean, they right now arguably one of them still in his first year, but they have three um, landmark players um, on their roster that 
are all still working on their rookie contracts that they're going to have to pay. Justin Herbert, Joey Bosa, and if he continues to play like this after his first year, Rayshon Slater. I mean, yeah. that is a that is your franchise quarterback, your franchise edge rusher, and your franchise left tackle who's going to take up a big bulk of that cap space uh, come time when they need to get paid. And the Chargers, I mean, I don't know if they're going to wait uh, so long to give guys like Bosa, Slater, and, and Herbert their contracts because they're – they're playing like they're more than deserving. I mean, obviously for Slater, the jury's going to be out with a sophomore slump potentially, but I think those three guys are, are making their cases for getting big paydays very early. And I think what's really crazy here, and we credit NFL.com for this one for some of the insights that we do get here, and seeing how after a 3-4 and four start uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, they have won seven straight contests. I really find that absolutely yeah. amazing after starting off three with three and four and people, including myself here, I will take full credit for or full blame for this, that I wrote them off. I really thought that that this was a, a team that people really began to figure out. And Andy Reid possibly, you know, going back to his days in Philadelphia, yes, he did break that Super Bowl curse. He couldn't get that one, but Maybe, you know, towards the latter part of the season, he's normally better towards the latter part of the season. That's 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 really what he's known for. He gets better as the season goes along until he reaches the playoffs, and then he simply cannot get over that hump. Um, you know, even though, again, did we think it could happen? Possibly. Did I think that there could be a contender, another contender in the AFC West? Absolutely. I thought it was the yeah. uh, LA Chargers. And I would not be surprised if they were to claim the six or the seven seed uh, in the AFC this season. They have such a good squad. Can they finish games? Evidently, they can't. We saw that last night. Uh, but really, again, a young team, and they have a bright future ahead, a brighter future than the LA Rams. There's no doubt about it. Well, what helps, Joey, is the fact, and I think we, we, we've mentioned this a time or two as well, is, is the fact that the AFC, any team besides the Chiefs, in the AFC have had a chance to not, I don't want to say run away with the division um, because I think the Broncos, at least at the start of the season played better than people expected. Um, I think everyone expected this to be the year for the chargers to finally take that step forward. And, and Vegas has been a little bit better than advertised. I mean, that, that division is awfully competitive for a division that we thought was really going to be a KC and LA um, division, maybe where Denver would compete a little bit. And I think both I think that division's done a real good job of staying competitive. But when you look at the AFC as a whole and you say to yourself, oh, you know, Andy Reid, he's back to being Andy Reid and Mahomes is back to being Mahomes and and the Chiefs are just going to run rampant all through the AFC. There were plenty of opportunities for someone else in the AFC to step up. I mean, Buffalo, I really think the league has it out on Buffalo. I, I think that they've I'm not trying to take anything away from Josh Allen, but I think the league has kind of figured out Buffalo a little bit. And I think it's oh, shows it. I think, it, I think it's showing. There's no one that's stepping up in the AFC North whatsoever. Baltimore is a complete enigma. They look fantastic one week, and they're terrible the next. Um, and then you have Tennessee in the AFC South right now who's playing without Derrick Henry. So I'm not so sure what to expect from the Titans, even though I believe they're a top-two seed in the AFC right now. I mean, the, the scariest team besides um, – I, I guess you could say the two scariest teams in the AFC outside Kansas City right now have to be Indianapolis and New England. And, and 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 I know Joey's gonna hop, you know, hop all over me for saying New England because he's been calling it for weeks. But I, I'm curious to see what Mac Jones is gonna do in the playoffs if New England does win the division because that's probably gonna. I don't even want to say it's a one bid division because it doesn't look that way. Um, so that that's my concern there. My other concern is just it's just Carson in general and Indy. But 
Um, so I, I find it hard to put to, to light a candle next to anyone with respect to KC and Mahomes' pedigree. But New England and and Indy, I mean, there's been more than a share of opportunities for another team to step up into that limelight. No one's really done it yet, and New England's doing it with a rookie quarterback. Yeah, not only are they doing it with the rookie quarterback, too, Ian, you also brought up about Carson Wentz, too. And as DeLuca definitely does not want to hear this either, you think to yourself and you say to yourself right now, Carson Wentz is not looking like the 2017 Wentz, but he's looking awfully close to that where he can get things done with a completely different roster and he's getting it done under the radar because Mac Jones is taking all of the limelight away and Carson Wentz, he's getting it done up in Indianapolis. He can't get those, uh, those, you know, those, those golden victories just yet. They, they, they fallen, I think maybe in, in three total games by like, I think it's like a combined nine or 10 points, which really, you know, it, it, that changes a division that changes a whole team's outlook that changes everything. And uh, you know, again, what, what the Colts have been able to do in this lowly AFC. And and really, I'll be honest with you, the NFL as a whole, everyone is beating up on each other. We've brought this up multiple times. And now with this COVID outbreak going on here, with games being moved over here, 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 and, and then, you know, you've got the Seahawks, Rams, you've got the Eagles in Washington playing on Tuesday. You've got the Raiders and the Browns. I think they're there. That game was, oh, I'm sorry. Raiders and Browns yeah. are playing Tuesday. Tuesday. No, they're yep. playing Monday. You had that right, Joey. Wait. You had that right. You had that right, Joey. You had that right. Okay. Okay. Well, whichever it was, there's postponements <laughs> all around the NFL, and that's really another thing too. Is is that you know who does that affect? Who does that you know uh, because of everyone's beating each other? Is there an advantage? Is there a disadvantage? We don't know how it is with um, you know who, which players are they going to get back? Who, who you know now that Taylor Heineke, for instance, is. Uh, you know, on the COVID list or whatever. I'm getting on a tangent here, but sticking with the Indianapolis Colts, though, uh, they seem to be okay right now. Their game is not, will not be knock on wood for their sake, uh, postponed or anything It'll like be a that. Great game tomorrow night. Exactly right. Exactly. So, um, you know, oh, that, oh, that's that's what it was supposed to be. The Raiders and the Browns were supposed to play tomorrow. That's what it was. Right, and it's they're playing to Monday. Monday. Right. Okay. So, uh, let's and, get, and let's and, uh, yeah. Uh, Joey, no, just my while last... we're on football, go ahead. Okay, while we're on football, we might as well get to a couple comments here. You know, Mike Zabo looks like he's sticking with us until he has to go on that plane. Yeah. Saying when you throw to Travis Kelsey, you can't figure out KC. Otherwise, you throw up a cover two defense and you neutralize him. Kelsey's a game breaker, insane numbers. He couldn't he couldn't be more correct. Obviously, we. I mean, if you think about it, Kelsey is Kelsey really did have a career game, as Ian said. It was just unbelievable stuff. And he's trying to keep his title back of the best tight end in the league. And of course, really quickly, we've got another comment from the realm of Facebook, loving Joey Santa hat coming from, from the lovely Gina, who I believe, who I believe is a, is a part of Joey. So, you know, she's just showing her love, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Joey, you're coming. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, we on here. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for for loving the Santa hat. Uh, no. Going back to on on topic though is that for those that are out there watching, are the Kansas City Chiefs still the class of the AFC? Ian Schreier. It's hard to say no right now, uh, and I'll go back again to my point I just made. It's uh, New England right now is doing it with a rookie quarterback. Um, Buffalo has yet to take 
I mean, has to prove it on the biggest stage. I'm not saying Josh Allen doesn't have that capability, but uh, clearly Buffalo has taken a step back. Uh, for, you know, I mean, you want to call it a, a post AFC uh, divisional slump, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, maybe the expectations were too high. Not that the expectations were too high, but that they can't meet these high expectations. Um, again, the AFC North is just, it's just, you can't figure it out. Um, you know, there's, there's weeks Cleveland looks great. There's weeks that Baltimore looks great. There's weeks that Cincinnati all of a sudden arrives, you know, um, there's weeks that the Steelers all of a sudden look, look good again. There's, it's hard to pinpoint. I mean, the, the team that in my mind that could check that if was healthy could challenge Kansas city would probably have to be Tennessee. Um, but you know, we saw it in the playoffs last year. I mean, Tennessee completely laid an egg against Baltimore. So I think it's hard to pinpoint another team right now based on the results and the and the performances that we've seen from other teams in the league right now to say that if Kansas City remains this hot. And when you look at their final three games, I believe it's Pittsburgh. I was just looking home for Pittsburgh at Cincinnati at Denver. That could easily be three wins from a Holmes and company finishing the year 13 and four. Uh, very much challenging for that top uh, spot in the AFC if they don't finish there. Um, and, I, and I'm not so sure that at this point, unless a team gets hot, uh, that they that they can kind of challenge KC for that AFC championship. It, it just looks like Mahomes is getting hot at the right time. I don't want to discount anybody, but based on the results, um, it looks like KC is the team to beat. Yeah, and 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 I, I have to agree with you there because again, when you have teams like. Um, like the chargers that move now two days back, uh, yeah. then you potentially have also some, some scheduling issues down the road. Uh, and, and that's something else too, is, is that, you know, if, if the chiefs are able to stay on course and stay on rhythm with no interruptions, this has the chiefs written all over it once again, because it's all a matter of who is able to really just get over that hump type thing. And, and, and I, you know, the Chiefs, it's really remarkable to see what they were able to do. 10-4, and seven-game winning streak. Really a big kudos there uh, to KC over L.A. But, again, we brought up earlier about the cap space. L.A. has the most cap space going into next year, a whopping $75 million. They've got a lot of money that will be coming off the books. They've got a lot of money uh, that will be able uh, – I don't think there's anything restructured or anything along those lines. They're just a young team, and they've got a long ways to go. And also, just what we said earlier, uh, we said Keenan Allen uh, was one to play in San Diego. Joey Bosa was the other uh, to play in San Diego. So just those two are the only two that have ever played at Qualcomm uh, prior to them moving. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let us keep moving uh, forward here on the primetime rundown as we just pull up our, our prompt here and uh, get things – uh, continuing or continuing to I think we know what that uh, Joey while we're on NFL I think we know what time it is you know before yeah. we wrap up the NFL we know what time it is you know yeah it's, okay it's, and, and time you know. of the week it is and what time of the week is that DeLuca I think I believe it is that time where we have to talk about the survivor pool you know is it now I think right. it is I well think then is. you take the honor sir please let me pass well, off hat to you all right, then. Well, after after what was an interesting week in week 14, here is how everything fared out. Two. Two picks. No picks, I should say. One from our very own Casey Bryant. One from the Essential Wrestling Podcast, Siler Adele. So it was a washout completely. So it was already washed out, so it was a fresh, fresh slate. And then what happened? 
everybody else wins. So the week completely washes out. Nobody gains ground. Nobody loses ground. So for week 15, four weeks left in this regular season, we, the primetime rundown, are still down by four games, by six games, actually. So we have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can read it. You can, or, or I'll read it here. Mike Zabo says just prior to him getting on that plane at LaGuardia Airport, quote, it's the time of the week where we find out the pick Joey is making that'll screw us over in the pool. God, well, Mike, well, Mike, all I can say is, is that I really hope that you don't hit any turbulence, okay? Oh. Ouch. Ouch. All right. All right. Buddy. Oh, I love you, Mike. All right. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, let's go to Rob DeLuca on this one here, and let's start it off with his pick here for week number 15. All right. Well, simple, simple here. Look, it's not easy right now. We're late in the season. You're not allowed to duplicate teams. You got to try to find the biggest lock that there was. And with those postponements that happened, it really shakes a lot of things up. Like maybe, maybe someone's not as much of a lock anymore because their game got postponed. So their opponents are going to get healthy and it's not as a surefire thing anymore as it was yeah. as if they were to play on Sunday. Yeah. So I'm I'm stuck with a game that is still slated to go Sunday. It seems like that game will happen. I have decided to lock in the Miami Dolphins winning over the New York Jets this coming Sunday. I believe I believe based on what's out there, that's the safest play right now. You know, we, we got we we're down by six. We got to get in here and we got to make some bold choices here. I got to be a standalone game here. I was supposed to be sacrificed last week, but the Seahawks won. So I keep winning. So we got to try to do something bold here to gain some ground back. So we're taking the Dolphins over the Jets. I know, right? Similar to me picking uh, picking against your Giants last week and working, right? I agree. Talk about bold. Ian Schreier, there he is. That, over what, there. what about that bold? I will say this for DeLuca's credit. I, I feel a little differently about it if the game was at MetLife, but they are playing in South Beach. So I think for, for the Dolphins, the Dolphins are a better team at home uh, than probably on the road. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if that's his – he feels it's his safest play, I'm going to go with uh, who I feel. It's a team I have still not yet to use this year. It's – it's I, I would call it almost a guaranteed lock. I'm going to take the Cowboys over the Giants. Um, listen, I, oh God. I, this team is so goddamn bad. I, I, I just, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for, for using the Lord's name in vain at that moment. And I, I apologize to all of our viewers and listeners for, for using such a, for using such a horrible word. Um, no, 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 no. I will not be grinding my gears for the New York giants. I've done that enough this year. Um, Listen, I mean, it looks like Daniel Jones is. <laughs> well, it looks like we're not getting rid of Mike Zabo. Take it down. Take it down. Stay, take it down. Go ahead. Finish the sentence. Um, I mean, the, I, uh, right now, the, the latest reports are Daniel Jones is probably done for the rest of the year. Uh, there's talk of benching Mike Lennon for Jake Fromm, who, I, if I recall, only a couple years ago was like a fourth round draft pick. Uh, he fell so far, and uh, and it and they doesn't matter. It, Ian, every time you watch the squad, I'm not trying to sit here and overanalyze the game, but. Um, the Giants Jake are not State Farm, right? Jake from State Farm. Jake from State Farm. Yes. Um, every Giants fan wants to see it. Uh, well, that that's always the most the most popular player on every NFL team is the backup quarterback, and if you're the Giants, it's the third string quarterback. So that's right. Um, it's more but, like the hot dog guy in the parking lot. Uh, I mean, look, I know the Giants last year beat the Cowboys in the uh, in the Week 17 game at home. Um, 
that was a team, the Cowboys, that were decimated by injury. Their offensive line was in shambles. They're a completely different team this year. Um, game being at MetLife or not, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the, the, Giant, the, the Cowboys should win this game going away. The Giants are not healthy. The offensive line is terrible. The Everything about that team is just flat out terrible, and uh, th that should be a that should be almost a lock for a lock. So uh, yeah, Cowboys over the Giants uh, this Sunday in MetLife. Well, you know it's very funny that you bring up uh, the Dallas Cowboys because I pick them as well, and um, you know this is another team in the Giants that I say yes, they are really bad. They're really bad, and going, bad. Into, going into next year. They have one of the league's worst cap spaces and mm -hmm. really just money allotment and everything like that. Basically, Dave Gettleman clearly doesn't even know how to even handle a cash register. That's kind of what it looks at. It looks like because he's got a grand total or rather the New York Giants, once he's gone, have a grand total of $3 million in cap space. And keep in mind, too, uh, the cap goes up nearly $30 million. Talk about a disastrous uh, – a, a disastrous set of, uh, you know, general manager eyes or even, you know, just trying to figure out monies and, and just just absolutely terrible. Um, you brought it up, Ian, about how Daniel Jones is probably out for the year. Saquon Barkley is is not living up to the hype. Uh, but again, he's how healthy enough? He's not healthy enough to live. And, up and to not that. only is he not healthy enough, but how can you blame? And I know, again, I don't want to go into the whole thing with Ian and DeLuca battling about Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley, but the part is we've done that three times already. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is here is, is that, you know, you can't fully blame Saquon Barkley for everything because he doesn't no. have an offensive line. He doesn't have an old line. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. Uh, but neither does Christian McCaffrey. So you can kind of make that case, but I you digress. Can, but, he's, but he's running the ball hurt. He's running. Yes, the ball hurt, exactly. So, so, moving on, yeah. moving on. so, so yeah. basically the bottom line here is, is Dallas Cowboys by 20, uh, inside the building, I don't know how. I believe it's supposed to be decent outside. I think it's like forty degrees after a yeah, sixty. No, nice, we nice weather for December. For December, in, uh, yeah, no, for December I, in New Jersey. Yeah, outside tonight, so it was absolutely. Great. Yeah, great no, and day I think, today. Oh my god. And 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 I think also this is something else too, ladies and gentlemen, is is that you know because of the temperature as well. Dallas kind of feels a little more comfortable because they're used to playing uh, in a in a controlled climate at home. Uh, they're used to playing, you know, in 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 warmth. Or if they're playing out in a you know in in, in cold temperatures, it's that's not really what they're used to. And and you know, going into MetLife in a 45, 50 degree day, it's fairly pleasant for them. And I think it's uh, you know, and, and that's something else too is is that. In a, in, in, in a MetLife stadium that is very difficult to fill 85,000 screaming Giants fans, it's not going to happen. The Cowboys are going to have a lot of fans there, and it will be, it will not be an 80-20 Giants, uh, you know, fans off like, of the card. Dallas. Yeah, I, wouldn't be, I would not be surprised, and I think that that's where Dallas will be able to propel. Uh, they're going to beat the Giants handily and take – a three-game lead uh, against either Washington or Philadelphia uh, in the standings, and there should be close to to, to pushing uh, or yeah. moving forward. I think in the you know lock for the NFC East. Yeah, uh, let's let's, let's look at Mike, let's let's take a look at what Mike Zabo's got to say to us. You know about our picks, mainly about mine, apparently, because he he says, "quote Are you kidding? 
The Jets exist for nothing but breaking survivor pools everywhere. Yeah, you know, Mike, Mike is right here because Ian has picked against the Jets twice this year, lost both three times. times. Three, three times. times. And has it burned you all three times? Nope. Lost twice, one with the Eagles. So one with the Eagles. Yeah. Right. So, so it seems like time. the tides might be turning here, Mike. And also I'm ten and four. So I'm doing very well this year. So I'm very confident in my picks. Oh, so my back. I'm, oh, my back. Me and Ian's back. We're in a lot of pain here. We're a combined 21 and 7. It's not It's not fun when we have to be doing all the work here. And apparently we're not getting rid of Mike Zabo anytime soon because he says, ha-ha, I'm already delayed 30 minutes. So, Mike, if you're still here, maybe drop drop your pick. You know, let us let us know who you're taking this weekend. And we, we, can, talk, we can help you analyze it right here, right now. And tell you why your pick is probably gonna ru- ruin us in the pool. Uh, <laughs> well, you, know, you, had nothing, cool. you, had, you had nothing to say to Ian or Joey's pick. No, no way to defend the New York Football Giants. Who? Who am I kidding? I can't defend them either. Pour, <laughs> pour, pour, pour that salt, Bing Bong. Bing, oh, I, <laughs> there I, you I, go. We'll, we'll go Bing Bong all day. If the if the Giants win, you realize if the Giants win now somehow we are in trouble. In yes. this tournament, we are in huge Because <laughs> even yes. Mike can't save us unless Mike picks if, if, somehow. If, if they, if they, I'll tell you this. If the Giants win with Jake Frome uh, starting at quarterback, I'll apologize to everybody that I've ever Seriously, if the Giants win with Jake Frome, now we're, we're going to be talking about, oh, no, the Giants found their quarterback of the future. Now, yes, because, that's right. Because it's... Daniel Jones' career is in question with this neck injury, you can never be too careful with structural damage in the neck. So I would say it's safe to say Daniel Jones' season is over. Whether his career is over or not is another thing. But here's my thinking, Ian, and Joey for that matter. Um, The longer you don't hear anything, the more similar this becomes a David Wilson situation where it's just over in a a flash. And it looks like Mike Zabo's pick is here. He said, already used the Cowboys. Otherwise, I would have screwed over the Giants. So so luckily, it won't be a third one, and we won't get completely screwed when the Giants beat the Cowboys on Sunday. But Mike Zabo's pick is right here. He says he is taking the San Francisco 49ers over the Atlanta Falcons. He feels the Niners are pushing here at the end of the season for that wild card spot. And most importantly, they've got Kittle back. So that's a I think that's a great pick by Mike Zabo, and Mike will be ready to cancel. Have to cancel out some of our own and Ian and Joey when the Giants win on Sunday. So we'll have to. We're real. We're really not doing any favors here, but at least we're, we're doing the hard work here. You know. You know, it's very funny because you two were talking about what or who the Jets screwed over in terms of. Uh, in terms of the survivor. So how about for the Giants, the New Orleans Saints, when I picked them, right, when they came back from the hurricane, right? right they, the, the, the Giants, Giants have, gotten you, tw- have gotten you three. T- the Giants have gotten you twice this year already. You got oh, a win last week, and that was the easiest win you could have ever picked. And, but, of course, the Week 12 ball. That, right, that, yeah, that the Week 12 ball, and then, of course, the Saints. So yes. are the Giants – Is are you going to go 500 now, or are the Giants going to get you for a third time? Third time's the charm, they say. I mean, we'll have to look at the Week 15 bowl and see if you guys can win it. If the Giants win – just, I mean, I, Ian, why would you be mad? Why would you be mad? We we we, we no. have the we have the bear. We have the Chicago Bears pick because Ian Schreier wants the draft pick, and he doesn't want. No, to we've get got the draft pick from the Bears. 
What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with back-to-back picks? It's not even about my PSL. He doesn't want that medium soda. He doesn't want free medium soda either. Okay. It's not. It's a new GM. It's not a large soda. It's not a large soda. It's a it's a medium. It's a me. It's a medium cup full of ice and a little bit of Pepsi. So it's not even Coke. It's not even the good soda. It's Pepsi. What are we doing here? What a horrible organization this is. I'm a season ticket holder, but I'm not going to be there, so I'm not getting my soda. I don't they won't. They won't let me walk soda. into the Captain Morgan bar or whatever it is. Not to go yeah, get a exactly. I walk over watching this team, but oh, the Chase Club right on the mezzanine level. Oh, what a what a what a joke of an organization. Yeah. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's keep on. Let, let's say let's keep moving forward here, and uh, let's take a peek at uh, the Week 15 schedule for you know some of the postponements, but really just some of the games in general. Guys, what do we like on this schedule here? Are there any possible games that really stick out to you? Any postponed games that stick out to you that maybe can uh, can really uh, help or propel a certain team to victory that was at one point not uh, a favorite? And now as an underdog, DeLuca, we'll start with you. Yeah, in terms of postponements, yeah. In Nobody's... terms of any game on the Week 15 schedule, right, yeah, no, yeah. Like, I'll right start, now. I'll start with the postponement side of things. Nobody is benefiting more from the postponements than the Washington football team. They were dead. They were depleted. The Philadelphia Eagles were about to get ready to play a practice squad on Sunday. It was going to be a re- the game's in Philadelphia too, so it was going to be a ridiculous blowout. The Eagles probably would have won by almost forty if if that game actually got Stop. to happen on Stop. Sunday. Stop it! But you, okay. you know that you were about to go out and play high school football team, so you, it, it that's the way it was gonna go. But now that it's pushed to Tuesday, this allows Washington to get a little healthy, mainly get their quarterback back. However, so I think so I do think we'll have a close game now. But as a benefit to the Eagles, it allows Jalen Hurts to heal his ankle as well fully. So Jalen Hurts struggled with a little bit of an ankle injury last week. But now or uh, rather in week 13, they had Two their bye week, yeah. and now getting pushed to Tuesday to get pushed even further back. I think Jalen Hurts will be close to 100%, if not completely 100%. So that'll be a big benefit to the Eagles. And then looking at the schedule to see what game I'd really want to really want to watch this weekend. You know, you, you look through the schedule. It's a lot of tight games. I think that the tightest game we're going to see is the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Mile High City and taking on the Denver Broncos. Two seven and six teams battling for those for that for those AFC wildcard spots. So I think there's a lot on the line right there. Denver's got the home field advantage. I think it's going to be a great and a close game. So I think that's the spread is Denver minus 3. I think that's a fair spread. I think this game is going to come down to the wire. Much like Thursday night football did. I think we're going to see something very similar with these two teams. You know, they're, they're going to feel each other out for the first half. And then the second half is going to be, they're going to try to play their own games and try to just it's back and forth dogfight right to the end. It's going to be a great game. Ian Schreier. Um, I think the game that, that, that garners most of my attention is going to be the Saturday night game between New England and Indianapolis. Um, I think that's the game as we went back to earlier, earlier conversation. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, as two teams that can um, potentially vie with the Chiefs uh, if they got hot enough and if they can, you know, com- you know, play to their potential in the postseason. You're talking about uh, 
the winner of that game probably is going to have a, a lot of momentum going into the last few weeks of the regular season. Um, and I think it's going to set, to set the tone a little bit potentially for a team that might, uh, I mean, I don't know if it'll be the Colts who are, who are seven and six, but if the Patriots win, I mean, you got to look out for them as potentially as like a number two seed um, in that AFC playoff picture, the game's in Indy, which is, which makes it a little tougher for Belichick and company. The, the Colts have been very, very good at home. Uh, so there's a lot to be said for that. Um, Wentz has played well at home. Um, so it, it, it's a huge game for both teams. Um, when you look at the, uh, the the rescheduled games, I don't think there's really a game out there that, that really I look pick out of these four and say to myself, wow, like there's one that just jumps off the page. I mean, the Rams are a locked playoff team at this point. I mean, when you look at the NFC wildcard picture, you see the Rams are sitting a game behind the Cardinals for the division lead, but they're not in four. They're sitting in the five spot. And then you've got, I believe it's Minnesota and Washington, seven and six, six and seven. So I believe a win uh, this week all but solidifies um, a win for the Rams. And even if they don't, um, all they would probably need to do is win one of their last three uh, to get in. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting game from, from the perspective of that the Rams have not been playing good football. They've been very inconsistent. Uh, the Seahawks still have Russell Wilson. Uh, the Seahawks just continue to find a way to spoil teams, even though they are five and eight. Uh, they're, they're a team that was playing with a bet with Geno Smith for what felt like half the year, but uh, that that you never sleep on the Se- on Seattle ever. Um, granted, they're more of a fourth quarter team, but uh, that that's just a game to watch out for. But uh, yeah, the game, my game to, to to look out for for a close matchup. You know that uh, the one thing Bill Belichick's going to try to do is to neutralize Jonathan Taylor and force Carson yeah. Wentz to beat them beat him. Um, I think is the is the Patriots and Colts. It might be the most obvious, but uh, but at the same time, I think it's the one that we definitely had to mention. Yeah, I tried to shy from the obvious, but because yeah, we we all know it's going to be amazing. But yeah, I think it'll be that's the best game of the week. But I wanted to try to be different. Oh no, I'm not criticizing you, Rob. But go ahead, Joey. Well, there's a game that people are not really talking about, and I think this this game is I I really believe that this is a a, a quote unquote trap game, if you will. But um, I look at the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears, and the reason why I do is because I wonder every single week um, how how the ownership and Rick Spielman and and, and really all of them up there in Minnesota. Um, how they're getting away with this Kirk Cousins contract. Yes, he's doing decently. But then I look and say to myself, you know, Mike Zimmer has a leash. I don't want to say a really long one because every year he misses the playoffs or doesn't get back to the NFC Championship. It just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. I think that if the Minnesota Vikings do not win this game at Soldier Field at a packed Monday night contest, I would not be surprised. The last time that these two teams met, Chicago and Minnesota, December 19th, 2020, yes, it was not with Justin Fields. Yes, it was uh, you know, with, with Mitchell Trubisky back in 2020. But the bottom line here is, is that they lost 33 uh, to 27. I personally believe that if the Vikings were to lose, the leash gets even tighter. It puts so much more pressure on the entire front office. And I think the microscope has to be looked at with Kirk Cousins. And I think he is your number one fallout guy in addition to, I'm sorry, he's your 1A fallout guy as Mike Zimmer would be your number one uh, fallout guy. And then every other person, uh, Spielman and the, the rest of the football operations crew would be, uh, 
possibly looking for new jobs. I don't know how much longer you can go um, as this Minnesota Vikings team where they were supposed to be at one point Super Bowl favorites when the Eagles literally destroyed them back in 2017. This was a team that they were supposed to completely destroy. The the, the, the Vikings, they were supposed to destroy the Eagles that, day, that, that game. They were not supposed to be good. And then after that, uh, there was no nothing there. There was no substance. The defense really got lackluster. Now Everson Griffin has his own mental health issues. They lose a big body on the edge. This team is really not only plagued by injury, plagued by mental health issues. Um, play everyone's plagued by COVID, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play that card. Um, but the, everyone is dealing with something. But Minnesota should have the resources to get over the hump. And they should not be at six and seven right now. So that I think is a game to watch where at some point the leash continues to get smaller and smaller. And at some point someone will get the boot and it might just be Mike Zimmer after this year, which in my opinion is a terrible move. But if he can't get this team over that hump, he's the first one to go. Minnesota's kind of interesting, Joey, because uh, the, the Vikings are actually two and five away from home this year, uh, four, yeah. and two, four and two at home. So that, that, that that's a very interesting play. I didn't really kind of consider that uh, with with the Vikings and the Bears, but uh, this is a team, yeah, that easily should roll over the Bears. I mean, on Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson alone, granted, uh, I, I don't yeah. think the Vikings. Uh, you know, the, the off the problem for the Vikings. It, really, the last couple of years, I mean, especially with the emergence of Justin Jefferson, should not be anything with regards to. Uh, off, off offensive production between him and Dalvin Cook and uh, and, and the arm that Kirk Cousins has and, and, and for them the, the issues recently have always been defensively um, they've always been very strong well I mean you know what they have they have guys like Harrison Smith in their defensive backfield and Xavier Howard they have you know and uh, Anthony Barr and you know leading in the linebacking corps but the, but their pass rush last year remember they went out and signed Yannick Ngakwe last year. And was hoping Daniel Hunter was going to repeat his Pro Bowl season, and they could not stop a nosebleed. So, um, you know, I think the problem for the Vikings is going to continue to be defense. Um, they, they they can score with the best teams in the league, but the problem is, can they keep teams off the scoreboard? And then, what kind of pressure does that put a guy like Kirk Cousins under to make sure that if they if somebody takes away a Thielen or a Jefferson, or you know, Davin Cook is not running the ball that well, or if, even if Cook is hurt. Um, who's you know can Cousins step up and be the guy? I think the only time we can really say that Kirk Cousins in a big game has stepped up and been the guy was a couple of years ago in the in the wild card game against the Saints. I think we were yep. still we're still waiting for that Kirk Cousins to reemerge on a consistent basis. But I think a big part of the Vikings issues have been defensively for for a couple of years now. Yeah, and and like I said, which is really crazy because at one point the Vikings defense was really one that everyone looked up to. You know, it was Eric Wilson, Anthony Barr, uh, as you brought up, Harrison Smith as well. Uh, Also, Eric Kendricks as well. That's another one too. And also with Kirk Cousins, Ian, this is another thing too, another crazy stat. He has the worst record on Monday night in NFL history. One and nine. One and nine overall. Was the, one win that you, was the one win that you liked that game? Was that the was that the uh, the famous you liked so. that game? <laughs> I believe I so, it. yep. You like that. Yep. Yep. So it, it's really it, – it's not great. And this is another thing, too. The Bears have lost seven of their last eight games. Their lone victory was on Thanksgiving Day against the Detroit Lions 16-14, to which we all got to see. And Casey Bryant really, you know, almost cried in that one. But – <laughs> he was he was seconds away from being a genius. Exactly. <laughs> Let's never discredit that. He was seconds away from being brilliant. Yeah. But nonetheless, 
So, that's but you know, that's that that's my game to watch this week. And then also the team that the team that most benefits from from COVID, I think, just to go a little bit different from you guys, since you guys took Washington and Philadelphia, uh, I think is Cleveland because Baker Mayfield, yes, he I believe. Uh, you know, criticized the NFL. I don't know if he, I don't think he tested positive, but there were other uh, other positives out there with Cleveland. I know, I believe oh, the Browns are the Browns are decimated by COVID yeah. right now. To Davian Clowney as well. He's another one that's uh, that was hurt is uh, that was uh, that was t- uh, that tested positive. So you know, I think Cleveland is going to definitely uh, benefit from this two day layoff as opposed to playing on Sunday. I'm sorry, playing Saturday afternoon at 4.30. They'll be playing uh, nearly 49 hours later uh, on Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, So that should be a fun match, and we'll see uh, who comes back, who will be uh, out of that protocol, who's still in there, who the next man up can possibly be. Uh, It will definitely be a fun one, but if Cleveland can do well, they could definitely – I don't want to call it an upset against Vegas because they have a better record, but Vegas right now at one point they were hot and they kind of really slowed down, but we'll see what happens. Guys, let's keep on moving forward here on the primetime rundown. Um, As we continue our coverage of the Big East Conference, uh, we now have heard that tomorrow's Gotham Classic, the uh, guaranteed rate Gotham Classic that was supposed to take place at Madison Square Garden, game number two of that uh, of that day, um, which was supposed to feature the Seton Hall Pirates and the Iona Gales, was canceled because of issues with COVID in the Seton Hall program. Uh, sources tell us in uh, sources tell us that uh, there are about seven unvaccinated players. There is about uh, a few other injuries and. Uh, Kevin Willard, the head coach of the Pirates, only has about six, quote-unquote, six healthy players. And in the NCAA, you need a minimum of seven to play at the Division I level. Uh, and also, the Monday contest will be canceled, from what we are told. Uh, St. John's Seton Hall, that is the opening Big East contest between the two. That one is canceled. That was supposed to be taking place 830 uh, at the Prudential Center, so St. John's gets a win. Uh, it is an uncontested. It's a no. Goes down as a no contest. Um, we now see that St. John's will be playing uh, someone that Ian loved the hire with in Marquette. Shaka Smart will be making his way to uh, to Carnesecca uh, Arena on Thursday night. That will be the next game that St. John's will be playing after tomorrow. When they play Pitt, that starts at 12 on FS1. Uh, but now Seton Hall, now they have not played since last Sunday, and they will most likely, uh, again, we don't know what the deal is with the DePaul game, which is supposed to be on Thursday as well, because they have their own COVID issues as well. The list goes all the way on in college basketball uh, of how many people and also how many positive tests there are within programs uh, the list is probably a good 35% of Division I programs uh, are affected by COVID one way or another. But sticking with the Big East and sticking with Seton Hall and St. John's, the teams that we most specifically cover here, looking at St. John's and Marquette, even though obviously St. John's and Pitt, it's really not a big game anymore. Justin Champagny's no longer there. 
Pittsburgh has gotten destroyed, decimated multiple times. It's not going to be a quad one opportunity win for them if they were to get it, which they should be getting the victory. But looking ahead to that Marquette contest, Ian Schreier, you've been all about Shaka Smart since uh, since he was hired from Texas, uh, you know, just last year. And, and what do you see with Shaka Smart and Marquette coming into St. John's? And, you know, again, they're, they're not going to be playing. Mike Anderson will not be playing a game between, you know, Saturday and Monday no more. They're not playing that Monday game. So now they're going to have, um, you know, about five days rest to get ready for Marquette. Advantage or disadvantage for whom? Probably advantage St. John's. Um, they, they could probably use uh, the preparation. I'm not trying to you know, discount any results that St. John's has posted to this point or any results that Marquette has posted. I mean, when you compare um, the two schedules and the, and the games that both teams have played to this point, you see the uh, Marquette has played teams like UCLA. Marquette has played, uh, I believe they played Ohio State. Um, yeah. and, you look at, and you look at a very weak non-conference slate of, of St. John's. Um, and look, Pitt is not, you know, Pitt is, ha- is, is having a very, very poor year. And it's, it's, it's tough to watch because, I mean, obviously that was labeled as the Champagne versus Champagne game. And it was going to probably get a, get a lot of at least local New York media attention. And now that game may not, I mean, we don't know what to expect from St. John's these days. We really don't. Um, you know, each result, it seems like that it seems like the Johnnies can't go out there and just kind of have a runaway game. It seems like every game it's, it's, you know, even if they, even if they end up winning the game by 15 in the second half by shooting free throws down the stretch, um, these games are, are, are nail biters. They're, they're tightly contested. Um, So yeah, I'm going to say advantage St. John's. It's going to give them a little more time to prepare. I I still, to this day, think um, Shaka going to Texas was probably the biggest disservice for him just in terms of, I don't want to sit here and say expectation, but when he coached at VCU and had all the success, I like kind of I like kind of compare him um, in a way. If you want to like use like a talk about two coaches that coached at the same time but different eras of college basketball, how about Brad Stevens when he coached at Butler? Um, you know that that's a perfect example because you know when, when VCU was was it was in the eight well they still are um, in the A10. You know when Chaka was coaching over there and you saw what they were doing against, you know, against smaller time teams. And he built up kind of a, the same kind of resume at VCU that he did with Butler. And I like him at Marquette. I think Marquette, there, there's not as much of a of a spotlight on, on, on Marquette men's basketball. I mean, you know, when you look at that area, I mean, the focus in that area is probably Bucks basketball because obviously they're the reigning NBA champions. You look at the Green Bay Packers. You go to UT, you, you go to Texas, and there's nothing more important than hook'em horns when you're at UT, whether it's football or basketball or any other sport that's that's related to that campus in Austin, Texas. So um, I think this is a fresh start for Shaka. I think, uh, you know, everybody sat here and got on me. I remember the comments that came in and be like, no, Shaka won't win there. There's a reason Shaka didn't win in Texas. BS. Shaka is a good coach that knows how to rally the troops. He's in the right conference. He's now at, I believe he's going to be, he's at the right school. Uh, I think he's only going, his program's only going to get better. Uh, but en- enough of that. I think that's, it's a, it's, it's a huge advantage for St. John's to have the extra prep time. They need it. This is a team that is going to be heavily reliant on having a strong season in the big, in big East conference play. Once again, should they not, even though this is, as we as we predicted, this was going to be a strong year for the Big East, and we're seeing it already, at least with the non-conference play. So now that we're heading to conference play, these games are going to be even more difficult for St. John's. So they, I think, the extra time is definitely going to benefit St. John's. It's just a matter if they can put the, which which they haven't done yet this year. Can they put a full forty-minute game together? 
Well, that's the big thing also is, is the full 40 minute game. And you're going up against the 11th uh, ranked scorer in the big East in Justin Lewis, who really has come into his, into his own uh, this year. And again, you know, this is something else too, guys. And this is something to consider as well. Um, You know, Advantage St. John's for sure with 5602 screaming fans at Carneseca. But we got to see just a few moments ago, this is a little bit of breaking news here, but Fordham basketball is closing off their building to fans for the next three home games due to the uprise in COVID. So if St. John's goes that route, we don't know if that's going to be the case or not. DeLuca, I want to go to you here. If that does happen, advantage St. John's or advantage Marquette? If if, if they close regard, off, if mm. if let's say let's say fan let's say St. John's goes down that that road, okay, of, of what Fordham has gone down, where they have closed off their building to fans and they only allow support staff and media. Who is? in the driver's seat for this contest, Marquette or Seton Hall? Oh, it should be Marquette or St. John's. Well, I'm, I'm going to – seeing as St. John's is playing Butler on Thursday, not Marquette, um, I think the advantage is to the Johnnies if that is what ends up happening here because I just – I'm looking at the schedule here. St. John's is playing Butler on December 23rd. That's how they will open up conference right. play. The 29th, the 29th is uh, – The 29th, the Wednesday is uh, – is the game against Marquette, but Big East play does start tomorrow. Nonetheless, Marquette takes on Z- ranked Xavier and Marquette plays UConn on the 20, on the 23rd as well. So Mar- Marquette is going to be very warmed up for the, uh, for the St. John's game on the 29th. They're playing very tough opponents. So that's, that's going to be a hard game regardless of fans in the building or not for St. John's fans in the, they would need fans in the building for that game. If you ask me personally, but, Against Butler, Butler's got a hard game. To, Butler has a hard game tomorrow. They're playing Purdue in Purdue, and it's or no, they're in the Crossroads Classic. Excuse me, I'm not exactly sure where that tournament and it is. It will be, and it will be against Purdue. Yes, yeah. So it, it's tough for St. John's right now. They most importantly, they got to they got to win tomorrow against Pittsburgh. No excuse. They got to run them over. You got to win by at least 20 points. You have to take care of business because. The way you have played your quad four games is has been nothing short of abysmal. And this is something that is not – and this forfeit for Seton Hall is nothing short of the worst-case scenario. I think that we have to analyze the fact that St. John's was getting a quad one opportunity to open Big East play and yeah. put up an apps and it – Slap in the face. It's gone now, and it's not. It's not a real win. I, I hope no one ever puts it it's like standings that. Standings victory. It's a standings yeah, it's, victory, and it's that's it. Nothing more than a standings victory. So it's a, it's a seating victory for. It's a quad for, four for, win. Well, I mean, it's not. It's not ideal. It's a quad four win. But I mean, if you even if we want to look at the at the Butler and Marquette games coming up uh, as they open Big East Conference play, I mean, St. John's realistically needs to go one and one. I mean, you you want to look at. The, they Combined. have to win the Butler game. Butler, Butler is not. That's the not. Team they see, used that, to I, be. See, I think their their more winnable game is Marquette. I mean, look. At, look I don't at think it. Works. I don't think it is. I, Wait, I really beat, think Butler is more Rob, winnable. Rob, they beat they beat Oklahoma, who was a team receiving votes. They've beaten. Um, 
I mean, they, they've hung in with, with teams like Houston, Michigan State. They only lost to Texas A&M by seven. Um, I, I'm not saying it's an easy it's an easy game. Right. No, you know, no, no. Just, this is Big East play. You can't. No, no. I understand that. But at the same time, like you have to look at it this way. St. John's has I don't want to sit here and keep, you know, keep kicking a horse, a dead horse while it's down. But like it's it's they have not played a full 40 minute game this year. And you're going to go, up, oh, go no. up against go up against two teams who are a combined record uh, so far entering Big East Conference play of 15 and six. They follow up with Georgetown and DePaul. So, I mean, in theory, you say to yourself, OK, St. John's has to go two and oh there. Yeah. But to sit here, and, and I understand St. John's is playing at home, both games um, at Carneseca. But it, for them, you're playing against two teams right now that are probably going to be upper half of the Big East standings that you need to at least try and earn a split. I mean, it, winning both is fantastic. Winning both really puts St. John's in a very, very good spot. But I think from what we've seen from St. John's right now, I think one and one would be very acceptable. I so, think so. Yeah. It makes me it makes me sick to uh, staring at the Big East standings right now to see St. John's at the top of them without playing a game. It it it, it sickens me that that this counts as a win. I I I think the po- Joey and I talked about this off 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 screen before we started tonight. Before you joined us, Ian, the Big East needs to change this policy. This is a bad policy. COVID is not something anyone can control right now. This is this is something that could hit anybody at any time. This should not have been a forfeit. This forfeit should be for extenuating academic type circumstances, or they somehow have five thousand injuries and can't play the and can't field seven players. But hold on, but hold on one second. But, but, but hold on one second. I, I, I want to interrupt you for a second because I think what. What you're trying to say here is, is that a, a rescheduling yes. should be included in that. Correct. Because I don't, I don't now, think, yes, yeah, because I, it should not be a complete cancellation. Right. This you is, should be able to get that game back, especially right. for St. John's sake. That was right. a top 15, or excuse me, a, 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 a they would be playing the number 16 team in the nation as per the AP voters. And it might have gone higher depending on how they did this weekend. It might have gone higher. It might have been top 15, Joe. You're 100% right. So I, I, and I think, think it would have been. It would have been top 15 because I right. believe Seton Hall would have handled Iona, who took yep. down Kansas, who took down other teams. Right. So it would have boosted. I think they would have been top. I think they would have been, honestly, between almost. 15 and 10. Yeah, almost 10. I would say almost 10. I'd, th- I'd probably put them at like the 12 spot. Potentially, you know, yeah. depending on how the re- how the rest of the country shakes up. Yeah, but we're because also we're getting robbed of great basketball here. When have we ever, in the past five, let's just say five years, five to seven years for our college days, Joey? When have we ever seen St. John's Seton Hall not be a phenomenal game? It's it's been a phenomenal game. It's it's a phenomenal matchup. We are getting robbed of a great rivalry game here. St. John's yeah. fans would have packed Prudential Center to fit. fit no, they would not have. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I try to reach. No, they would you know, not I try have. to reach there because, like, you know me, I can't stand. Uh, as a St. John's fan, can't stand, cannot stand the hall for I whatsoever. Know. Now I that know. Big East play is starting, all bets are off. But it's yeah. it is unfortunate. It has to be this way that we're not getting a rescheduling. I don't like the forfeit rule either. I because because it's of because COVID is the reason. I don't like the forfeit rule there i think covid should have been an exclusion from the forfeit rule i think it should have just been a simple postponement rescheduled to when it can be played again played safely and it, it, this is this because 
a lot of times these guys get five, six days off between games. So I feel there's no reason you can't squeeze something in there. And now we're looking at it, and it looks like St. John's, it has come out of St. John's that they are going to try to, because of this postponement, not play on Monday, but at some point they're going to squeeze in a potential quad one non-conference game into their schedule to compensate the game that they are now never going to get to play. So I, I, I would, ex- I would expect St. John's to dip into the top 25 to try and find an opponent because of this. I think they're going to, they're, they're really going to try to put themselves on the map and see like, all right, look, we were supposed, and it'll be interesting to be whether it could be at home or on the road because this was supposed to be a road game. So I don't know what the um, NCAA procedures to that might be, but I think that the only route St. John's can go here to, to fill in the game is quad one, bare minimum quad one, and with no chance of it ever going down to quad two. So you really need to dip into the top 25 there. I, I don't want to create a, create a debate here, but I, here, here's my take on the whole situation is we spent an entire college basketball season last year trying to reschedule games. Um, there was no vaccine yet. There was no, uh, you know, we didn't know where a lot of things stood um, with respect to COVID-19 when we came back to, to play uh, with the college basketball season a year ago. Um, my issue, even though I do see Rob's point with regards to trying to find a way to get the game in and reschedule, I, I, I completely understand that part of it. Uh, but again, I don't think this is going to be the last um postponed or rescheduled game on the college basketball schedule this year. Um, I mean, the, the number of notifications and tweets and, and posts I saw this already oh, today. The charts. Uh, the there's there's I, already like 20 postponed games this week. I mean, it had, I mean, it had March, it had March, 2020 feels written all over it, but um, he, here's my point about what, what, what Rob is saying with regards to being robbed of, of, of seeing a, a potential great basketball game between St. John's and St. Hall. Ultimately, they're student athletes. Okay. Ultimately, they're student athletes. It's That's, not about it, it's not about the fans. It's not about who wants to watch great basketball. These are not professional athletes. We can sit here and go into a two-hour debate about the name, image, and likeness rules and and and, and all of that and all of that stuff. But in the end, they're student athletes. Seton Hall had has has had ample ample had very much ample opportunity. And I'm not going to sit here and make this a COVID vaccine debate by any means necessary. No, 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 no. This is, this is, this is about the fact Seton Hall had, has had ample opportunity. If, if, if the issue is that you have seven or six or however many unvaccinated players, that is the, that is, I mean, listen, we're, we're already seeing cancellations and postponements with universities that are testing positive for COVID uh, but are vaccinated. Okay, but this is this is an issue that goes that, that that reflects Seton Hall University. This is an issue that okay, we don't want to get our we don't want to get our students or our student athletes vaccinated. Well, this is the, this is the risk that you run. And the Big East went through this last year with all the rescheduling. They couldn't tell you know teams, oh, you know what, they weren't going back to the whole, oh, you know what, we're just gonna you know if they can get the games in, they'll get the games in. If they don't, guess what, we're just gonna organize the Big East tournament by winning percentage, and that's how we're gonna seed. Um, I completely, I, I completely agree with the Big East uh, take here. They're student athletes, um, the coaches, the administrators, the staff. Everyone needs to be responsible and accountable. And Seton Hall was not. So I'm sorry, but yeah, you have to forfeit. This is this is more of a. This is right. More, no, Ian, I'm with you here, but they didn't specify that 
with the rule. I understand like, that, but even really if they were vaccinated, it still comes as a forfeit. So it's well, like, they don't really. Yeah. I don't think they really need to explain it. I think it's just a matter of you saw where we were last year. This is the this is the predicament that we're in because because whether schools are requiring vaccines or not, one way or the other, I really don't care. But ultimately, this is the the Big East does not want to do this again. The presidents, I'm sure, voted on this voted on this policy the athletic directors are probably the ones that pass the policy through and if you don't want to sit there and you think your kids aren't going to end up contracting covid great that's on you but guess what if you do guess look what look at the situation that you've drawn yourself into so no I, i i don't feel bad for seton hall one bit this is something that could have easily been controlled easily could have been contained just by doing one simple thing and they chose not to do it so guess what now you're not playing basketball and now you're going to be forfeiting games and now you got to find games elsewhere well, credit okay, so this is so this is my final take on that is is that yes, um, Seton Hall definitely that's their own fault, yada yada yada. Hmm. Fact of the matter is, is that they're going into a city into Madison Square Garden that requires the vaccine. Now I don't know if the NCAA has an agreement with the city of New York or any other city. Yeah, this is that, something I was wondering. Johnny. That requires it because you look at, for instance, Kyrie Irving in professional sports, yes. right? Who is coming back now, but these student athletes get a pass. I don't understand that. And we know in the state of New Jersey, it is not a full mandate yet. We know that it's not there yet, but in the state of New York, here and 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 more specifically in in the five boroughs, it is a mandate as a professional athlete, you must be fully vaccinated and that's the part where Andrew Wiggins was not going to come here and play. He eventually got it, uh, you know, And here's the wacky part of that, Joey. Of you pressure. only have to you have to be a member of the home team to be vaccinated. If you're on the road team, you can come into New York and play. Not that that I don't I do not believe that is 100 percent the case because Wiggins at least it is in the NBA they got that national interest exemption. Okay, okay, yeah, they got that that national exemption. Yes, if they're I don't know how it would work with the uh right with with college kids. I don't I don't know how that would work. I I don't know I don't know either. But that that is a development to watch for down the road, especially with the Big East tournament coming along in March, which is awfully soon, which. We see are on they require, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Joey. Are they going to require, because I, I was just thinking about this as you brought up that part about entering New York. You have to be vaccinated to enter Madison Square Garden to at least even be a, a paying fan to walk into a game. Oh, yeah. Are they going to yeah. be requiring all these student athletes, all these coaches? I mean, I, I can't imagine so because based on the state that they hail from, if there's no requirement there, how do you require those student athletes to walk into the garden and be vaccinated? But it's it makes for an interesting predicament come March now, doesn't it? There's, yeah. there's no and and you said it not only with March because the Big East tournament is right around the corner. Just like what we were saying, I was actually watching UCLA and Marquette on FS2 just a few uh, last week, and I could not believe Ian and Deluca. I saw March 2022 uh, advertisements. For the Big East, I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking to myself, it's already. We're, we're going to blink and it's going to be here. It's almost exactly. January. It's exactly. Almost January. So, which is sickening. But just to conclude this topic, the big thing that I say is if Seton Hall is the one that is the whole postponement issue, St. John's should not be the one to suffer because here, the big losers is St. John's. Yes. Surprisingly, 100%. surprisingly, the winners here, if you look at it, is Seton Hall. Why? Because, 
I don't think anyone's a winner here. I don't think anyone's no, a winner. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I think I actually, you know what? I think I know where Joey's going with this. Okay, I'll tell you why Seton Hall is a winner because they had Bryce Aiken, who was who was lingering with flu-like symptoms, non-COVID related illness, but he was still knocking down buckets against Rutgers against Texas, doing things absolutely phenomenal. Miles Kale continues to come back from that quad injury that he suffered early on against Ohio State in the Fort Myers tip-off. Ike Obiagu had a rolled ankle. He had a high ankle sprain that was potentially going to keep him out for a few weeks. And now there's a good chance that there was some chatter that he might be back on Monday. And now if Seton Hall can play DePaul on Thursday, he might just be back. And their ranking does not get affected by yep. that. And that's the part that grinds my gears. And as Ian said, and, and, and again, I'm not trying to make it into a vaccine debate or a COVID debate or anything like that, but if you are the ones that are at fault when someone is making the rules for you and you do not abide by them, and if the other team who does not get affected by this loses in that situation – there should be some sort of exemption because they are following the rules. That's where I will leave it. And that's, that's where that's where St. John's is 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 winning in the exemption and Seton Hall is not. Right. But, 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 but in terms of but in terms of the committee, in terms of games, St. John's um, lost because yeah. they lost okay. I see your point there. They okay. lost yeah, they a lost top a quad 20 opportunity a quad yeah. that will no, most get most likely 98.7% will remain a quad one opportunity and potential victory if they were to take down Seton yep. Hall on Monday. Let's Absolutely. keep moving forward here, ladies and gentlemen. The National Hockey League. You want to talk about COVID? National Hockey League is plagued with COVID. There is no doubt about it. But on a more positive note, that could be spun into COVID. We don't know. Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice resigned today on his own accord from what he claims, it is not COVID-related. He wanted to just go out the way he wanted to go out. But a lot of this, Ian Schreier, has a lot of Matt Niskanen written all over it here. But the difference here is, is that Matt Niskanen retired after the bubble. Sure. Paul Maurice retires about literally a day or two after everyone is coming down with COVID. Is this a career move for him, or is this a COVID thing maybe – you know, is he looking more towards life than 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 disease and work? What do you say? I think you I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Joe. I mean, he said that the last he felt, and this was a direct quote from Paul Maurice, that the last two years of COVID were very taxing on him, and and I think they they've been taxing on just about everybody in this country, whether you or or north of the border. I mean, it's been a very very difficult time. I can only imagine how it must be when you look at the bubble and you look at uh, playing only within your own. Uh, country but with just the canadian teams playing north of the border last year um and and the type of travel and the testing and and everything that went through it i can only imagine you know i'm I'm, you know how any hockey player or any any athlete at any level feels just going through that on a day-to-day basis i'm I'm a fan and i'm just hoping to watch some good hockey every single night i can only imagine what the players and the coaches because they're human just like we are and that's why someone like again matt niskin a perfect example because paul maurice is not the first and he won't be the last probably to say to himself that he wants to step away i mean look at someone like even look at the broadcast booth i mean look at someone like doc emmerich sure he was ready to step i mean he was probably ready to step away sooner rather than later but he even said covid like i'm I'm done I, i just i can't deal with what what this pandemic is is 
you know, I, I can't tax my body like this anymore in a time where, where, where just other things are just more important. Um, you know, he also said, Paul Marie said, you know, he felt that it was time to step away because he felt that his career was, 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 was offering diminishing returns. So he's basically talking about how um, the team has not, has, has failed to succeed as his years have gone by in Winnipeg. Um, and when you look at, you know, I mean, arguably, I mean, we could say to ourselves, you know, the last couple of years we've spoken about the performances of, of Connor Hellebuck and how he's kind of put that team on his back and, and, and uh, that this team really should have at one point um, in his tenure there probably should have had a cup final appearance, but they just never did. And they never could kind of reach that goal. Um, but a, th- a record of 315, 223 and 62 um, in his career at Winnipeg. Um, I, as you said, Joey, it was hundred percent his own decision. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's completely related to COVID and everything going on. I mean, he was, he, he was still establishing great success, even though um, his record over his last 13 games or even his, you know, the team's record, you know, where they stand right now in the West this year is not great. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a little surprising. I mean, it, it makes sense because it's COVID related, but it was definitely a little surprising uh, to see this come down, but understandably. So I completely console and understand with where he's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he, he claims, you know, they, they asked him, uh, the media asked him if, you know, if this was COVID related and he claims no, which I personally do not, I, I don't believe, but again, who are we to speculate? Um, you know, again, for, for, for the um, unspoken about or really rarely spoken about problem here during COVID is mental health. And I think that, you know, it can, it can affect everybody. And Absolutely. we, we heard that it affected, you know, it, it, in the biggest one, it affected Matt Niskanen. He went out retired. Um, you know, we heard, we obviously saw Tuka Rask leave the bubble because of his daughter. We saw many other people, uh, they were, you know, th- they had issues after the bubble because there were just, there were mental stuff that you, you couldn't get out. There was no whatever. Um, he was also in the bubble too, but you know, again, not for long. Uh, Ian, you brought up about his record. Do not forget 2006 Stanley Cup champion with the Carolina Hurricanes. He was the head coach. Uh, that's another thing, too. Uh, so he is a he is a cup uh, winner. Um, but, you know, about nearly 16 years ago, which is crazy to say uh, when they took down Edmonton. Um, and, you know, you, you look at this team and and. I mean, I thought with Nate Schmidt, maybe there might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, not only depth on the blue line since they lost uh, Tyler Myers just a few years ago. They could not find that other compliment to Joshua Morrissey. Uh, but maybe, you know, Neil Schmidt is not the guy that he once was in uh, in 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 Vegas uh, or in Washington prior to that expansion draft back in 1718. Uh, but yeah, it, it's very surprising to me. I think, you know, kudos to him. I think also uh, really amazing also to see uh, that, you know, he's, he's, he's heading off in the sunset. It's going to be really weird to see a Winnipeg team without him leading the way. And he's such a good coach too. Uh, he, he's a great coach that he's the, the entire locker room has bought in uh, year in and year out. They may not get the results, but they're always a perennial um playoff team they may not get to where they want to get to but they always get to the uh to the playoffs and uh you know kevin shevla day off he he does what he can and you know with, with brian little obviously his career ending uh eardrum injury he's he's got some uh you know some some other things to figure out 
down, obviously, down the middle of the lineup. Um, Rob DeLuca, your thoughts with, with this abrupt ending for Paul Maurice's storied career in the NHL as a coach? Shock. Sh- sh- shocking. Shocking is to say the least here. I mean, what more can you say? This guy is a good coach. He's a great coach. So it's it's very shocking that he just abruptly stops. Yeah, I, he says it's a. He said it was a personal decision, and I I think COVID did have a lot to do with it. But you know we can't speculate, so we just gotta we gotta take him at his word. He felt, and I I feel like he fe- he feels personally. I feel like he mentally believes he wasn't helping this team win anymore. That's also why he stepped back, which is also shocking. Because here's the thing. Winnipeg's not awful. They're two points back. They're two points back of a wild card spot right now. And it, let's yeah. remember something: it's December. It's, yeah. it, season's far from over. So this is shot. And I think honestly, this is. I mean, look, it's good for Paul Maurice. He's got to do what he's got to do. I think he'll eventually be back coaching the NHL. Certainly not this season, and maybe even not next season. But I think he'll be back. He's a young guy. He's a young guy. Great coach. He'll he'll be wanted in the off season. We'll see if someone takes him for next season or not. But for, for this season, he's def- I think he's definitely done. He won't take another offer somewhere. Well, no, so, there's no, yeah, no there's he's, he's so done I think, for the year. I think that overall, I'm, I'm going to look at this since you guys touched on it in from one angle. I'm going to do a, di- a different angle here. I'm going to do it from what this is going to do for the Winnipeg Jets. I think this is going to hurt the Jets. They, they mm-hmm. lost a. I think they, they lost a great coach here. Like, look, yeah, were the results not what they ha- should have been over these nine years? No, the Jets probably should have been a little bit better. But what can you really – I I don't think you're going to do much better right now with candidates that are out there to do, do a full-time tag pick Jets. I don't think you're going to get much better than Paul Maurice. So I, I think this well, is – I going to do better, but you can argue – you can make the argument that at some point they should have been a cup contender. Oh, no, definitely. There's no question they should have been. There's no question they should have been. Maybe the coaching change should have come. I mean, look, you can't fight time with your, with your mental health. So there's nothing right. you can do there. But if there was going to be organizational changes from up top, I think they would have potentially come at the end of the season if Winnipeg did let down did let down below expectations again. Yeah, this is just abrupt. It's sad. It's unfortunate. I really hope Paul Maurice is going to be okay. And – Overall, though, I don't think – overall, I do think the Jets are going to suffer a little bit from this. I think they're still going to remain in the playoff race, but their expectations now have to simmer down a little bit. They'll be fortunate to leave the first – they'll be fortunate to leave the first round of the playoffs if they get there. Well, you know, it's very funny because, you know, you look at – you look at the last time that they made it to the conference finals, 2017-18, and they ran into a Golden Knights team that, you know, underdog, completely expansion team. They weren't supposed to be anywhere. They made it into uh, – that was when the Golden Knights won the Western Conference and they went to the Stanley Cup against Winnipeg. And, you know, they were second in the Central, 52-20-10. and 10. They had 114 points that year, which was really amazing. Uh, and then, again, you know, just continuing to look and see what they were able to do – uh, 47 and 30, 47, 30 and five, 2018, 19, they lost in the first round to the blues. That was the year that they, uh, they won the cup as well. Uh, 2019, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was not the case. Uh, 2019, 20, uh, or no, it was the case. Oh, 2018, 18, 18, 19, 18, 19 was when the blues won, uh, won the cup. Yes. Cause they were, they were brutal. They lost in the first round. That was when the blues found their resurgence. 2019, 20, 37, 28 and six. 
Um, they they played. Uh, they lost in the qualifying round against the Calgary Flames in the bubble. That was COVID year. And then 20, 2021 in the 56-game season, uh, 30-23-3 with 63 points. They kind of trended down a little bit after uh, after that big year in 2017-18. And then they really could not find their groove again. But I'm with DeLuca here. I don't really know anybody who will uh, really come in there and change the mindset or anything along those lines over there uh, right away. I don't think Dave Lowry will do it. He is one of the assistants who's now taking over as the interim. Um, and I think right now, the, I have to agree with DeLuca. I think that this will definitely hurt them. But I think the good thing is that they still have a tight-knit locker room that they'll be able to move forward with. I don't see them – I don't see this as a as a prolonged solution. They're going to have to hire somebody in the offseason. And and I, I can see, DeLuca, going back to your point where Paul Maurice – you know, could be on the market next year or something like that. I could see it like a Dave Hitchcock type situation where, you know, he retires from the blues. He, then he goes back and Ken Hitchcock, right. I'm sorry. Ken Hitchcock. Uh, yes. Ken Hitchcock, uh, Ken Hitchcock, excuse me. Uh, and he, he resigned, he retires as the head coach of the St. Louis blues. He then goes to Dallas. So, you know, and then he, and then eventually he gets fired. Rick bonus comes in and, you know, could I see that happen this time? I, I don't see it. I, I don't. I don't see that happening with him, especially when we don't know the real reason for his um, resignation with the uh, yeah the Jets. So uh, it's going to be a fun time to see with what happens over there. But a team that made a coaching change, not only a full coaching change, a full front office change mid-season, the Vancouver Canucks decided to to strip the powers and relieve the duties of longtime general manager Jim Benning, and then, going right after that, relieve the duties of head coach Travis Green and his entire staff. Get ready, because Bruce Boudreaux then would come in, the former Minnesota Wilds head coach, the former Washington Capitals head coach. Uh, he would then come in, and it is uh, it is how you do. Bruce, uh, Bruce, there it is, if you will. Um, is what the uh, is what they're going by now, and they've won six straight games, and they are just six points back of the wild card in the Pacific Division. It's really unbelievable, and that's another thing too. They hired Jimmy Rutherford as the president of hockey operations. They still need a general manager out there, but Jim Rutherford, we know what he can do, we know what he's capable of, and I cannot wait to see what goes on in Vancouver. Uh, can it happen here with Bruce Rudro at the helm? DeLuca, can they come back and be the Vancouver Canucks that they were supposed to be when they got Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland in the offseason? I don't think Vancouver really had all that high of expectations to start this season, if we're being honest. Not for me, at least not for me. I didn't really well, see when much they got, Well, when they, when they, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but when they traded for OEL and they also had Connor Garland too – Yes, they did lose Tyler Toffoli a couple of years ago, but OEL does have some offensive production in well, there. No, I, I get it. I didn't. I did. I certainly didn't have them dancing out of the Pacific. I'll tell you that much. I, I most I'm not even close to be honest with you. So, <laughs> but but I mean, look, Bruce Bruce Boudreau coming in the. This front office change clearly working. They haven't lost yet since the change happened, and suddenly you know 12, 12 out of a possible twelve points through the first six games. You know. Sometimes things 
sometimes things just spark and you, you get hot at the right times. And this is a great way for Vancouver to go into the holiday break. You know, this is exactly where this is exactly where they need to be right now. And I think that there's things are going well. I still don't believe they're going to end up dancing by the end of it, but clearly a good coaching change, a good good staff change by the Vancouver Canucks here in midseason, which is rare to do, especially to blow the whole thing up. It's certainly turning things around right now, but what you can't do is heighten the expectations. I still don't have Vancouver dancing. Might they get a little closer to that race? Might might they be competing in like a March? A Marchish? Yes. I think the month of March, you might you might still see the Vancouver Canucks swimming around there. But then for me personally, as April as April hits, it, obviously with the heightened sket with the uh, schedule not quite back to normal yet, almost, but not quite there. The whole month of April is being played with regular season games, so that, that's also due to the Olympic break. But I think that with the whole month of April, I think you'll see by the beginning, like the first week or so of April, you'll see Vancouver kind of end their playoff hopes there. It's it it. Not everything's there for the Vancouver Canucks. It's not there yet, but they're they're building back up. They they started over, and now they're 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 climbing back up, and they'll be back soon. But th- for this season, I I'd keep them away. Ian, do you agree with Deluca? Or is there another team out there that you see that could potentially uh, make a run similar to the Canucks and potentially make it over that hump? Do you see a team like that, or? Is it the Canucks, or is there someone that it or it can't happen to? In the West, it's tough. I mean, you, you look at the teams that are in the bottom half of the West, and you see teams like Arizona, and, and, and obviously San Jose has cooled off a little bit, and uh, you look at the Kings who are not ready yet, and, and, and obviously win. I mean, I, I guess if there was a team, it would just based on experience on the ice, it would be Winnipeg, but um, – yeah, I'm not. I'm not buying into this Vancouver six-game winning streak too much. Uh, obviously, Bruce Boudreau um, has that winning pedigree from his days back in uh, in DC. Uh, he obviously turned. He obviously turned things around for a short period of time when he coached over in Anaheim. Um, but I think what's going to help them so much now is also the hiring of Jim Rutherford as their president, uh, as their team president. I think that's going to go a long way. I mean, this is a guy with a couple cups to his name from his days in Pittsburgh. Um, but I think it, I think it's, it's going to hurt Vancouver. I mean, when you look at the results, um, over their last six wins, Kings, Boston, obviously they're going through their whole thing with COVID Winnipeg, we already discussed Columbus and San Jose. So I, I don't think there's a team there that, that just jumps off the page at you and you say to yourself, um, you know, wow, like this is a look, not saying that rattling off six wins isn't impressive, but I think, um, obviously it helps to have a guy, um, behind the bench, uh, that has, one in the way in the way that he has but they play in such a low i mean look look how loaded the pacific division is right now when you look at the year that anaheim is having and all of a sudden the resurgence of a guy like kevin shattenkirk who ranger fans were couldn't wait to get out of the building and um you look at anaheim and calgary and vegas and obviously edmonton is always a contender and and and, I'm, and even though i said that they've cooled off i mean look even san jose's give uh giving some teams a run for their money and playing a little better and guys like timo meyer are stepping up in in, in a big role um, I don't want to sit here and say can Bruce do it, but I, I'm, you know, I, I think the Canucks have to show uh, a little more for me to start buying into them. Um, obviously, Bo Horvath has, has started to pl- play well. Um, again, I think maybe Boudreaux's hiring has helped that case. He's got 18 points in his last 18 games. 
But um, right now, no, I am not. I'm not buying the Canucks right now in the West. So I think I, I think that if we have seen where teams have really struggled out of the starting gate and we have seen, for instance, a team like the St. Louis Blues who, you know, have come in basically dead, dead into December. And they come back and win the Stanley Cup. And I'm not saying the Vancouver Canucks are on that. There is zero chance that that is the case. I personally believe, though, with what with what Vancouver has, they have a foundation. And they have that pedigree of actually doing well. We saw that a few years ago in the bubble, a couple of years ago in the bubble, where on the backs, on the back, rather, of... Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom. And now Demko is the leader. But you also have guys like Elias Pettersson. You've got a JT Miller. You've got a a Connor Garland who, for those folks that remember in the preseason, when Connor Garland got to Vancouver, there was the infamous video of him vomiting on the ice where he could not deal with, with, uh, with, with Travis Green's uh, his practice, his practice, uh, you know, sessions. He couldn't do it. He was very un- uneasy. No pun intended, obviously, with him, you know, throwing up stuff uh, on the ice. But he eventually got there, and he's now beginning to find his own and whatnot. And I think, in addition to, uh, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson coming along with him, Quinn Hughes, and I think also when uh, certain guys come back, Brandon Sutter, who has been a very uh, a, a guy that was re-signed to a, a low-level deal one year, well, I think a million dollars or whatnot. He's also come in and played very good minutes too, um, where it could potentially get them, you know, over the hump. And when I say over the hump, I think it can get them into a wild card spot this year. When you see L- LA, they're they're dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. They're dealing with COVID as well. Drew Doughty was just uh, diagnosed with COVID as well. Um, so, you know, everybody out there is just, it's all over the place, but no one thought Calgary would be great either. No one thought Calgary was going to be good. Uh, and I think Vancouver kind of right now, especially with Vegas, they're slowly coming back in terms of their injury issues. They had nearly a full roster that was fully injured, not even with COVID, just, you know, ankle injuries. Mark Stone was out. Max Pacioretty had a fibula injury or a leg injury or whatever it was, it was lower body injury that was going to keep him out for weeks on end. Uh, this team right now, if they can eventually get there and just keep on pushing forward, this team could, I, I think I'm buying it in their six game winning streak. This is what happens with Bruce Boudreaux in his first few years towards the end though, of his tenures, it always looks like he always gets fired from wherever it is. He doesn't leave on his own accord because Eventually, teams just they 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 it loses that spark, and I think with Boost Boudreaux and his three previous stops, Minnesota, Washington, and Anaheim, you know, time to get out. But in the beginning of his tenures, it's always good. He must say something in there, um, you know, in that locker room to get these guys riled up in a in 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 a good way. So I, I'm I'm buying it. I, I'm definitely buying it. I, I think that this is this is a team, and with Jimmy Rutherford too in the future. Next year, give it next year. That recapture penalty from Roberto Luongo's retirement comes off the books as well. So that's an additional $3 million that they're going to have to spend. And also, even though the cap goes up only $1 million next year, 
uh, Vancouver is in a good place uh, with Rutherford at the helm. Uh, so I'm going to ask you this then, Joey. I mean, if, of course. Uh, obviously their future, obviously their future looks good. And I think the one team that I, that I left out before, as I was look, overlooking the standings, which I'm a little surprised by how underwhelming they are right now is Dallas. Uh, but yeah, um, I Dallas think for, will be a seller come the trade deadline. Yeah. I think for, uh, for Vancouver, I mean, do you see four C I should say uh, them, knocking off a team in the Pacific. I mean, obviously we see we saw how well Anaheim's playing. We know the offensive weapons that Calgary and Vegas roll out there night after night. I mean, are they are they knocking one of those teams out? I mean, or do you I mean you can't I don't see a I mean maybe St. Louis, but obviously I mean we know it's St. Louis it, it's hard because like I'm like looking at these standings and the only team I could foresee them overtaking if anything might be Edmonton. I mean I I, I gotta imagine you know Colorado's gotta be in a safe spot. So who do they overtake? I mean, that you're buying this. Uh, I mean, again, we're only in December, but who do you see them potentially overtaking come March, April? If they're if you're buying the six game winning streak and buying them into the future, Calgary, yeah. Calgary. I don't see them. I do. If there is a team in the Pacific, it is Calgary that has gotten off to a massive start. Andrew Mangiapane comes into UBS Arena as I was there. I got a chance to see him score two goals, yada, yada, yada. I just see that, okay. And the best part, too, is is that Andrew Mangiapane, at that time, a month into the season, had 14 goals in, I think, 13 games. It was something yeah, ridiculous. Was he has slowed down a bit, but it's still he's still doing well. Um, but the the fact of the matter is, is that Calgary is a team that right now they're 5-4-1 and one in their last 10. They were on a good winning streak about a month ago. They've slowed things down. They've hit a couple of bumps in the road. If there is a team in the Pacific Division that can be vulnerable at a time, it's going to be Calgary. I do not foresee. Uh, I do not see Anaheim being a uh, you know a, a team that will slow down. I think that this is a team that is young, no expectations, have zero pressure with anything anaheim i believe will be in that race for that wild card spot and vancouver will be there uh, the hot the hot start by anaheim certainly helps them it's gonna be a it's gonna be a little bit of a wild. it's gonna be more of a wild race than we we certainly predicted originally from our pacific preview show here just a few months back hard to believe it's been a few months since our what since our Pacific Division preview of the National Hockey League? Yeah. Can you believe it has been that long? That is absolutely wild. But Joey, do you know what else is wild? The Minnesota Wild, and you know what the Minnesota Wild are doing on New Year's Day? They're playing. They in the, they're playing in the Winter Classic. He just loves those. He just loves those. the St. Louis Blues. I will take those transitions any opportunity I see fit, and I did it again. I think. I think the way we're going right now, we're having a great show. Almost eight eight thirty eight here. On the East Coast, thank everyone for tuning in. Another episode number 76 of the Primetime Rundown. Let's talk about the Winter Classic to close us out. Why not? It's going to be a great game. So we've got Wild and Blues, Joey. What about this game excites you the most? It's the state of hockey, DeLuca. It's the state of hockey that is getting a an outdoor hockey game that I think is long overdue. Uh, and I think with, you know, the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild going head to head, and we're, I think it's amazing. And it's also a target field, too. Uh, and, and I think everything that has gone on, uh, you know, with, with, with uh, 
with everything in the real world, in the political world, and whatever the case may be, in, in, in the state of Minnesota that has suffered so much from so much stuff lately in the last year and a half to two years, I think seeing this hockey game is not only going to bring everyone together, but I think also it's going to be an absolutely frigid cold day. Everyone in Minnesota loves their sports. There's no doubt about it. They love the wild. Uh, and I think also you're seeing two teams right now that are both first and third in the central division. And I think it's going to be a really, really good game between the two. And who would have thought the Minnesota wild that 19, eight and two, I, I wouldn't have, I would, if you yep. were to have, if you were to put pressure on me and tell me at the start, at the Christmas break or the holiday break, who will be the top seed in the central division? I would have said someone completely different. Seriously, and I would have probably said it would have been the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, I agree with you completely there, Joey. You know, it's it's hard to believe that Colorado's a little sluggish right now. A little bit of a COVID problem for them right now, but the, I think they'll eventually bounce back. That they, they are too stacked on offense and on the blue line. Their weakness really is is in the cage, and it's not even that big of a weakness. That's just their weakest part of the game if you, if you are to pick out a flaw with the Colorado Avalanche. But yeah, nonetheless, Blues Wild, Target Field, Minnesota, going to be awesome, I think. New Year's night T on TNT, 7 p.m. Little in a, a strange start time because usually they play that Winter Classic. They love playing that Winter Classic during the day. But there's a the, the thing about New Year's Day, there's a full, for the first time in a long time, there's a full slate of games that day. They yeah. usually only keep it to the Winter Classic and maybe one other game and maybe one other game at a completely different time because they want all eyes on the Winter Classic. But they they've got a full slate and they've got great games too. You know, Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabers, Carolina Columbus, Chicago Nashville, yeah, the New York great. Island, the New York Islanders are in action against the Edmonton Oilers. There's a whole bunch of games and it's at ubs arena joey might be oh. in attendance on new year's day yeah sure <laughs> you, you know it's true Joey. you know it's it's, it's going to show up in your stocking on christmas morning so, oh, oh oh in this stocking right yeah yeah sure. that's the, that's the one joey the very the very same but yeah nonetheless i'm very excited for this game <laughs> two two great te- two very good teams to start the to have to start to the year minnesota especially you know what can you what really can you say about it except uh, an unlikely candidate leading the leading the way in Minnesota and Ryan Hartman, uh, 13, 13 goals, 24 points in 29 games played. He is all over the ice, obviously getting a little help from Kar- Karel Kaprizov, who ha- who leads the team with 22 assists. But you know what? I love what I'm seeing out of this Minnesota team. People thought they'd take a real step back, you know, buying out Parisi, buying out Suter. It seemed like Minnesota was going the wrong way, and they've just come in and said, "You know what? We're young, but we are com- We are coming, and they are here, and they are making their presence known." Yes, and you know what? Before we get to Ian Schreier, you know what? You want to talk about making their presence known? You know what's going to make the? the you know what's going to really? Uh, their their the their little little tiny little head is going to come through that fourteen million dollar dead cap hit next year when they have to cut guys or trade guys because they're going to have no money on the cap because they're only going to be able to spend like I think what sixty five million dollars. That's it. That's literally it. That's going to be because they have so much dead cap next year from Suter and Parisi combined. What a disaster. And DeLuca, that is for about two years. 
no less. It, 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 it was it was bad timing on the buyout. But these seeing, hot starts helping them because they they yeah. got to make a run now. They got again. They you're, you're seeing it. You're seeing a flash in the pan. Uh, and you also brought up before we get to uh, before we get to Ian. Also, you said a full slate of games. Uh, seven o'clock Eastern time on TNT. They're going to be going up. You know, in 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 the United States, obviously, that's going to be the only contest. But in Canada, they've got oh, yeah. Ottawa and Toronto. I don't know what the NHL's thinking there is. <laughs> I I don't know why they're not. I are they not wow. going to broadcast that in Canada? I'm very confused by that. It says that, they, that, it well. says that it will not be it will not be on national television. St. Louis and and Minnesota. Well, then uh, that's why you got to appease the you got to appease the Canadian market with something. So why not Toronto? Uh, buy your ESPN I, buy your ESPN Plus subscription now. Yeah, no <laughs> TNT TNT and Ottawa and Toronto is on CBC, which is their which is their uh, their their main mainstream media channel. What a, what that that is shocking. And as Deluca said, that the NHL wants all eyes on that. Clearly, it's a it's a United States market that United, that United States eyes. Clearly, yeah, exactly. Ian Schreier, uh, preview of the Winter Classic. What do you see here? Uh, St. Louis and Minnesota. I think Deluca kind of took the cake there, just on the whole preview, but um, unbelievable. Uh, you got to be excited. I don't want to say excited, but surprised at what's going on with the Minnesota Wild. Um, you know, uh, he, um, Robin mentioned Hartman, and you had uh, obviously Kaprizov and Erickson Eck. And how about New York Rangers legend Cam Talbot between the pipes? Uh, really playing well. And Matt um, Zuccarello. Matt Zuccarello. I mean, I mean listen, I, they're second year head coach in Minnesota. They're buying in, and um, it, there's. Um, you know, the, the, I can't believe what I'm seeing out of Minnesota. I remember I watched, I, I believe I watched some pieces of the Wild Devils game a couple of weeks ago, and, I, and I'm shocked to see how well Minnesota's playing. But uh, good for them and good for what's going on in the state of hockey. They deserve a winner. I mean, they're usually a team that's uh, in the hunt for the playoffs every single year. Um, it's great to see that they're going to get a uh, the Winter Classic at um, Target Field on New Year's Day. Um, definitely don't like the 7 o'clock start time. Definitely don't like that it's not the only – game on the schedule definitely don't like that it's not going to be doc emmerich uh carrot uh, calling the game because this will be the first winter classic without him so it's it, it's definitely going to take some getting accustomed to uh but uh my eyes will definitely be on that game for sure uh during the day i also think the rangers are playing that day so i'll be uh yeah, yeah. i'll keep my eyes on on both but um it, no i think i think rob recapped it well and uh it should, should make for a real good game a real fun game and of course uh outdoor hockey is just so much fun to watch the Rangers are actually playing the day after uh, against okay. the Lightning on Sunday, so you might have no choice but to watch Edmonton and the Islanders. Oh, said no one. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey I, I, I already see it now. Joey's Joey. going to put Ian in his car as a are we going? together to UBS Arena. Are, are, we, are, we, are we going? I mean, you uh, let me know. Oh, I, don't have too many, I don't have too many New Year's Nothing Day. Nothing you haven't done before. I'm just. That is fair. That I'm is fair. It's called the spontaneous <laughs> trips, right? The spontaneous trips. On, I want to go watch. I want to go watch a little Connor and and. Uh, and Leon, let's go. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, guys, let's get to our sports updates here. We are done with our main portion of the show, but our sports updates here. Uh, Gary Bettman, uh, National Hockey League Commissioner, he uploads, uh, upholds, not uploads, upholds the lengthy suspension for Jason Spezza, Toronto Maple Leaf Center. Uh, but he reduced the whole the, the whole suspension from six games to four games. So uh, the suspension is upheld, but it was reduced by two games. So that is good for Toronto fans out there. Uh, also, the say uh, the New York Mets are partnering with Samsung 
to replace the center field scoreboard in 2023. And also they are adding wraparound ribbon LEDs in center field for 2022 season. I want to know Ian Schreier's thoughts because, you know, there's been so much talk here ever since 2009 when Yankee Stadium was built, when City Field was was built. DeLuca, please refrain from just erasing just for one moment, please, just so I can uh, make sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just so, um, you know, what are your thoughts back from 2009? You, you hear Yankee Stadium is is overrated. City Field is better. Um, y- you know, City Field is more of a of a of a of a modern baseball park, a baseball ballpark. When Yankee Stadium is a is a museum, or it's a it's just a it's a facility that is just meant for business people. Now that you're seeing this come in, you know, obviously Yankee Stadium has full ribbon LEDs around the building. What do you see here? Is this something that is a Steve Cohen, uh, you know, motto here, more money comes in with the, the organization, uh, you know, something that might add to a, uh, to a building that really has appeased a lot of baseball fans and has taken the, the, I guess the, you know, has taken the limelight a little bit off of Yankee stadium where people have said, you know, it's overrated and it's a, you know, advertisements everywhere. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't think there's a, a stadium, at least in New York, that doesn't have more advertisements or at least used to have more advertisements along their field. I mean, remember when for that one season uh, before Steve Cohen took over, remember Chick-fil-A sponsored the foul poles um, yeah. and people who used to sit down the lines or in, or in right field or in left field couldn't see through the sponsor sign. Um, so they actually had an obstructed view while they were at the game. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg with that, but no, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a Steve Cohen move. Um, I mean, based on the renderings and the drawings, um, this looks to be an enormous uh, scoreboard or video board. I think that'd be really, really cool. Uh, definitely uh, be a, be a different site of going to City Field, where you just have where you have the main scoreboard in uh, dead center, and then the uh, scoreboard that shows the lineups and the pitch count and all that other stuff um, off to the right. I imagine now what that would be is it would be very similar. Uh, I mean, I'm not even sure just based on the size if there's another stadium that has a scoreboard that's that big. I mean, the only thing the, the Mets have not had is they have not had the LED ribbons uh, completely extend, if I'm not mistaken, um, behind home plate. Yeah. Um, always had them run down the baselines all the way out um, to left field, which was later on in addition. And then they added the two screens, right? I believe it's only one screen, which is down uh, in the right field corner between the coca-cola corner and down and the lower level over there um but I, I like to see the changes i mean i like to see the fact that they're they're planning on adding uh, a ribbon board over by the uh, m&m sec the m&m seats which looks really cool yeah. and i'm you know it, this is a man who just wants to invest in his franchise and and it, it appears it has it's more than just to deal if it is steve cohen um who engineered this whole thing um, it's more than just spending money on the players and spending, he's spending money on the overall product. And it's just great to see an owner, um, that's just investing in his franchise and trying to keep the customer happy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's really amazing to see with, uh, with what he's doing with the Mets and, you know, and the reason why we brought that up here is because we continuously here, I know DeLuca and myself as Yankees fans, we've heard, what do you like better city field, Yankee stadium over and over again. Um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, definitely I mean, look, when you go to Yankee stadium, I understand it's, it's definitely got a museum feel. I mean, I'm not trying to sit here and, and, and kind of, you know, say bad things about the stadium in the Bronx, but I mean, listen, you walk in there, you just know the history. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, 
you know, it, it, it's it's different from a path of like going to Fenway and seeing that like all the old seats and everything still kind of stands. But at the same time, when you go to Yankee Stadium, you know you're walking into a into a stadium that houses 27 World Championships. You know who the Yankees are. You know who the pinstripes are. Um, and and there's and I think that you know it doesn't have to be Yankee. You, you know the Mets have been an inferior product for so long that I feel like every year I used to say to myself they need to try to find ways to incorporate different food just to try to keep people happy and coming to games. Like they had to add food options. They added that seafood option, that catch of the day in right center field yeah. or, or they, or, you know, the year that they brought dough in, remember when they had uh, the, uh, <laughs> dough. Um, you know, they, they always found ways to try to appease their customers to try to get yeah. people to buy tickets because they weren't investing in the on-field product. Um, so, um, you know, that's why I'm not, you know, you know, if I go to a Yankee game, like I'm going to watch the ball game. I'm going to watch the ball game. I'm going to watch the team on the field. I'm not looking for the uh, the ability to to drop somebody wearing the opponent's jersey in a dunk in a dunk tank. Like when I go to a Met game as a, as a diehard Met fan, I go to watch the game. If I'm not in, in my seats by first pitch, I'm pissed. Like I like that's yes. just who I am. That's that just who the I'm way to do it. That's just who, how I am as a Mets fan. Okay, but like there are plenty of fans that go there just for the experience of being at City Field and the experience of making it very kid friendly. Yankee Stadium is not kid friendly. Okay, it's not. It's just oh. not. But you know that you're going when you go to Yankee Stadium. You're going to watch the Yankees, and 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 to me, like I appreciate what what city what the Wilpons did for City Field, but at the same time, I would rather the product be better than the experience. Right, That's or cool. even or or even the wiffle ball. Field. As a long suffering Met fan, please give me the give me the listen. I, a couple of years ago, when Emma was was much much younger, you know, I was carrying her around the bases during the Mister Met Dash after a Sunday game. Had a great time, but at the same time, like I I, I want to see the on field product be good. If if it, right. that means risking, if that means risking taking sh- an overrated Shake Shack out of left center field, be my guess if that money can get invested. Yes, in it gets it. Shake Shack is overrated. Why? Why? Oh no, that Shake Shack. Is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That Shake Shack is overrated. <laughs> Every no, other Shake Shack is good. Well, they all are. They all are. Okay. All right. So, so, so now, so now, my question to you is actually, I'm yes. not even. It's not even a question. It's actually a demand, Ian. When mm-hmm. we all go to a Mets game together, I will be battling you deep center field with wiffle ball. Okay, and it, I will be making sure That's that I get kids, my man. <laughs> That's only for the kids, my man. I'll be next door getting a, getting a. Uh, a pulled pork sandwich at Blue Smoke. Yeah, well, yeah, well. Guess what? For that day, we will be children too. We will be walking around with babies. Won't be that hard. We'll shave. Children. Oh, we got to shave, and we look like children. <laughs> that, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Cleveland Guardians uh, minor league catcher oh. Andres Melendez uh, passed away suddenly at the age of twenty years old. The cause of death was not disclosed. Uh, but we, we don't know what happened with him. He was a, uh, a top 20 prospect from what we've got. Well, from what we've gathered, uh, a member of the low a Lynchburg club. Um, you know, a lot of people have been, you know, expressing their thoughts about the, about the passing of Andres Melendez. This is something that is very sudden. No one knew that he was, uh, you know, Nobody know knows if uh, how he how he passed on, but uh, our thoughts and prayers are to uh, Andres Melendez and his entire family, as well as the Cleveland Guardians organization. Yes, That's I have to get used that. to that. So give me a few moments, please, if I do say the Cleveland Indians a few times. Okay, uh, the Cleveland Guardians—that is their new name. Uh, all, all uh, you know, uh, rest in peace to the entire, uh, to Andres Melendez and our prayers, our thoughts and prayers are to the 
Melendez family. Uh, and this is something that is really cool. I, I found really cool since, you know, we don't, we didn't have a lot to talk about today, but the new England Patriots have their own plane, but now we can discuss another team that has their own plane, oh, the yeah. Arizona Cardinals. They've got their own plane. And that was something that was, uh, that was tweeted out there by uh, sports and aviation. Uh, and I find that really cool. And, and I think now that we're seeing so many more, uh, teams have, you know, much more value. They're getting into the billion dollars, into the B, uh, you know, of, of the alphabet there in terms of money. Um, you know, teams are now investing in their own planes as opposed to having their own sponsorships or partnerships uh, with other teams. I know with the Philadelphia Eagles, they, they have a partnership with, the, with American Airlines. Uh, I believe uh, the New York Giants and the Jets have a partnership with Delta. Uh, so, you know, there's, you know, other teams out there that do not have the luxury of having their own plane, but I find it really cool in the economic world, um, uh, and, and, and in the world of finance, uh, that the Arizona Cardinals now are the second team out there to have their own plane, really cool stuff out there, uh, to see that these, uh, these owners are making, uh, their players comfortable, their staff comfortable in flying out to uh, away games and, uh, you know, even recruiting guys, uh, coaches, players, whatever the case may be. Um, now, let's go to our kudos, our final kudos of 2021. Let's go to Rob DeLuca first. Yeah, you know, I keep it simple. You know, I did this last year, going to do it again. You know, just everyone... Everyone out there gets kudos, you know, you guys too. Everyone, you know, let's just have a great ho- – let's just have great happy holidays. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa, Ramadan, whatever you celebrate. It, it's all – they're all great. So and – and a happy New Year, you know. We haven't been – it hasn't been great, the 2020 decade. It's, it's absolutely sucked to start. Let's hope 2022 is a turnaround. Kudos to all of you. We, we've made it so far. We're going to get through We're going to get through this. And 2022 is going to be a great year. Ian Schreier, your kudos. Yeah, I have kudos, but I first again, want to echo what Rob was saying. want to wish everybody a very happy holiday, a very happy new year. Please be safe. Uh, do everything you can. Let's uh, try to get this pandemic over with, please. I beg all of you, uh, but most importantly, have a very Merry Christmas. Have, I hope all those that, uh, in the Jewish religion, celebrated a very happy Hanukkah just recently. Uh, happy Ramadan, just happy holidays all around, and a very happy uh, start to the 2022 calendar year. Um, my kudos are going to go to the New York football giants because I want to thank you for my medium soda. Listen, I mean, I, I just want to know why they couldn't save the extra couple of bucks and just give me a souvenir soda. Uh, I mean, I think that would have been a much better appreciation on Fan Appreciation Day, but no, no, no. I'm, you know, I, I won't be at the game, but, but, but from home, I will make sure to cash in my medium soda just for you. I might have to go to Qdoba and get it, but I will go. Make, get my- make sure you fill it up with a, with a ton of ice. That's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be. A ton I, of ice. <laughs> I will go get my medium soda, and I'm just gonna sit there and stare why I can't have the souvenir cup. So, congratulations on the incompetence, New York Giants. You just keep getting better at it, and. Uh, I'll, I'll be back for my medium soda, I promise. That is absolutely fantastic. My kudos <laughs> my kudos goes to uh, Vegas Golden Knights goaltender Robin Leonard. He is making his long-awaited return to the New York Islanders. He will be playing against them for the first time since he departed in free agency a wow. long time ago. 2018-19, and why? Because we did not see him 
in 2019-20 because of COVID. They were supposed to play Chicago, I believe, sometime in latter March or early April of 2020. And then 2020-21, he signed with Vegas, and all of the divisions were realigned, and Vegas did not even get out uh, of uh, of the uh, of the latter parts of the uh, uh, of that uh, of that uh, of that playoff run. So it was it was not really great for him. Uh, and he came out publicly and said also is that this New York Islanders team saved his life. Lou Lamarillo saved his life. Uh, he was battling alcoholism, uh, you know, a full alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, all of everything, all of the above. He was not a well man. And also he does have on the back of his neck uh, a, a, a full tattoo um, of Long Island. And it's really oh. amazing to see. And he really uh, thinks of Long Island as home. But um, things did not work out here on the island for him. But he definitely has a lot of thanks to give when he comes here uh, on Sunday. They, they play on Sunday. They're playing the New York Rangers tonight. Uh, but we'll be playing on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, against the New York Islanders at UBS Arena. So that'll be definitely a cool uh, homecoming for him uh, to uh, to get all of the cheers from the entire crowd. Also, ladies and gentlemen, of course, as I wear my, uh, my Santa hat, Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa, Ramadan, whatever you may celebrate. Happy New Year. And we cannot thank you all for making us a part of your Friday night each and every Friday here on the Primetime Rundown and the Eastern Observer. Ladies and gentlemen, one final time here in the calendar year of 2021, for Ian Schreier and Rob DeLuca and for our entire crew here on the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group, I'm Joey Jarzinka. We will see you all in 2022, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs>